Welcome to God is Open. Today on God is Open, we're going to be responding to this video. It's by Be Not Deceived, called The False Teaching of Todd White Exposed. And what this guy is, is he's a Calvinist, and he's trying to refute this guy on screen with dreadlocks. And this guy on screen with dreadlocks has this theology where mankind has ultimate value because God gave up his only son and of exceeding value, of ultimate value, to buy us our sins. And uh, this other guy with this beard, he doesn't like that. He's from the Be Not Deceived because he's into Calvinism, worm theology. And let's hear what they say about this. Teacher, you want to avoid him like the plague. But uh, here's Todd White. How much are you worth? Here we go. The value was placed on my life was determined by the cost that was paid for me. See, the cross isn't just the revelation of my sin. It's the revealing of my value. Something underneath of that sin must have been of great value for heaven to go bankrupt to get me back. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm just the bee's knees. I really am a diamond in the rough. I'm, wow, I'm so amazing. Notice how this takes your ego and just puffs it up ginormously. Jesus paid such a high price for me on that tree. Mm. And when I see that, I see my value. So when I look at the cross, I can't sing that song, I'll never know how much it costs. I have to sing, I need to know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Mm. Because yeah, because I need to know what my worth is. Now, what does the scripture say in this regard? So we're going to look at several passages. And uh, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 54, 7 through 8. We're going to also look at Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And we're going to also spend some time in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10, and 1 John 4, 7 through 10. I want to give you those ahead of time, so if you want to look them up, you can. But uh, we're going to start with, why did God save the people of Israel? What was the reason why he saved them? And So watch this conflation here. So he's going to conflate what this uh, Todd White guy wants to talk about is personal salvation, where God bought us through Jesus. And this uh, Be Not Deceived guy, he wants to talk about why God saved Israel a specific national people group that God chose for a specific function and purpose. So are those the same things? Are those the same type of salvation? So trying to conflate the reasons, the reasons why God saved different people in different senses of the word saved is probably not going to be very conducive to his argument. So we're going to let him read his proof text, and then we're going to talk about what the context of his proof text is. And if that uh, confirms his worm theology, that mankind is so low, mankind has no value, oh, it's so bad. We're going to see something about God here. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 6, says this, For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all of the peoples. But it is because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. The idea being this, it's because God loves you. It's not because you have inherent value. In fact, the whole point that the Lord was making regarding saving Israel, it's not because you guys had great inherent worth. Yeah, like far from it. 
Um, no, it was because of my great love for you. And this is what we're going to see over and again in Scripture, is it's because of God's nature. It's because of his love that he saved us. So this Be Not Deceived guy, he wants to say that uh, this white guy, is that his name, white? Uh, that the guy with dreadlocks, he wants to say he's wrong that we don't have inherent value because look at my proof text that God says that God saved us because he loves us. Does that contradict what our dreadlocked friend said? Does that mean that that guy's wrong and this guy's right? Where's, where's, the, where's the connection between the two? Why can't God love someone who has value? Yeah, th- this, is not, this is not countering what the guy said in any way, especially because this is about choosing a specific priest nation for Yahweh in context. And so what, uh, only Israel saved? Is that this guy's theology that the Gentiles have no hope because his proof text about being saved only applies to Israel? Is that, is that what's going on there? And just think about that. Just, just imagine every single person has a lot of value, a lot of worth. And God is picking out a specific people from that to be his priest nation. Is the reason he's going to give because you guys have intrinsic value? It's not. It's not. And so you could compare this to actual verses that talk about the value of man. Uh, For example, in Genesis 1, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And this image of God is linked to man's value throughout the Bible. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image. So there is inherent value to human beings because mankind is made in the image of God. This guy's Deuteronomy text did not contradict that, did not counter that, did not mean our dreadlocks friend was wrong. It didn't do anything like that. He just wants to assume because he's trying to build a different narrative. I don't know, like man is so low, so worm-like, has no inherent value, that God only saves due to this overpouring of love, which Calvinists don't even believe God has. Remember, God's impassable, God's eternal and immutable, and God can't have any relationships, can't have any predicates with uh, the created world. And so he's, he's building this false picture of God that he doesn't even believe. He doesn't believe what he's saying. Isaiah 54 verse, verses 7 and 8 say this, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion. Why did he desert him? Huh. Was it because he didn't have love at that point? This is this guy's whole thing. He's like, well, there's love and there's not love. And the reason God saves is because of love. It doesn't refute our dreadlocks, friend. Um, It doesn't refute the idea that mankind has inherent value. I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Again, this is applicable to Israel. This is about Isaiah, and this is during the Babylonian captivity and God's relationship with the nation of Israel. This is not about all saved people or all people who worship Yahweh, the world around. This is about a priest nation called for a specific priest tasking, who has a specific priest relationship with God. 
And so conflating that with individual specific salvation, which Christ died for on the cross, uh, that, there, there's, there's no connection there. This guy has no connection with what he's saying. And what, what's he trying to do? He's, he's trying to degrade man. Has he done it? Has this shown it? Is, is, are these his proof texts to show that concept? And so it's not because of our worth. It's because of God's love and his compassion. What comp- And just to add on to that, Israel was given specific double standards than the rest of the world. They had to follow additional laws, rules, regulations over and above what the Gentiles had to follow in order to be true worshipers of God because of their pre-status. And so that's even extra conflation of these ideas, trying to conflate Israel's relationship with God with the world's relationship with God. They're, they're under different standards. There's different things going on there. There's a different people group, different time, different circumstance, and it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the value of human beings. Held him to save us, for him to send the only begotten Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, suffers under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried for our sins and for our salvation. It wasn't because of our worth. It was because of his compassion. <laughs> well, uh, can't, why not both? Huh? Why not both? To, to give something value, let, let's just think about even in the marketplace. I mean, this guy gets all mad about the marketplace. What gives something value? Uh, sub, value is subjective. That's, that's one of the key truths of economics, that value is created in the mind. And if God loves us so much to send his only son to die for us, that's the price he's willing to pay for us. That's the value that God gives to us. So what? He's saying that God is so withdrawn and doesn't actually love us, doesn't actually have compassion on us, doesn't actually value us at what he spent to get us. That's this guy's claim. And uh, contrasted to our, our dreadlocked friend in the prior clip. It's a bad claim. It's a bad claim. Value is subjective. Since God values us, since we are in the image of God, we have that value, that God values. Does God give up his son for animals, deer and rabbits and stuff like that? No, he doesn't. He doesn't do it because they don't have inherent value. They don't have this value that's worth sacrificing for. God had pity on us in our sinful state. In fact, we learn that this is the very nature and glory of God. If you look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, we're going to note something here. In the previous chapter, Exodus 33, Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God basically said, no, you can't see that and live, but I will cause my glory to pass by you. And I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over you. And as my glory passes by you, you know, you know, then I'll remove my hand. You're just going to move over that without talking about what that means if you actually believe those events happened? Okay. You'll be able to see the backside. But so as the Lord passed by, this is the glory of the Lord. Here's what it says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, this is the glory of God. This is his nature. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the glory of God. 
<laughs> this is the glory of God. Well, people started criticizing that. And remember in Ezekiel 18, where God said, that's not going to be the rule anymore. He said, there's this old proverb where that the parent sins and puts the children's teeth on edge. He said, that will no longer be a proverb among you because I will give each person their just due. Children what the children do, parents what the parents do. And so God had a change of heart here, didn't he? Did God become more, in our eyes, just and more righteous? Perhaps that's what the text describes. He is merciful. This is his nature. He is kind and compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving. But see, it's not because we're, we have such inherent value and worth. In fact, Romans... Did, did that prove it? Was, was, that, was that your proof? You just, you forgot to prove what you're trying to prove. Where in there shows that we don't have inherent value? Huh? What, did did it, anything? Anything there? Why is God having compassion on things that have no value? Like, would I have a compassion on an ant? Like, I, no. It doesn't work like that. I might have compassion on a dog because I'm going to value a dog a little bit more than an ant. I don't even value dogs that much. Maybe it's like this, like a kitten or something, and... Um, I take it in and shelter it, but that doesn't mean the cat has no value. If I have compassion on a cat, there's, there's some value. My kids value my cats. And so that gives me value through proxy. So things have value based on how we subjectively value it. And it's not like God doesn't value mankind who he made in his own image, right? That's our inherent value. Chapter five kind of makes that point. Verses, uh, Romans 5, verses 6 through 10 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates or shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, a sinner... An ungodly one has no value. <laughs> yeah, you consider they don't have any value. They're, they're just kill them all. You just you just take babies and we just abort all the babies because the babies have no inherent value, and we just kill them all because they're all sinners, of course, in Calvinism because Adam's sin comes to the baby. So you kill all the babies. They have no value. This this guy's laughing about it. Kingdom at all? Did he prove it? Did he prove it? He's reading a verse and then he just talks about things that the verse didn't even describe. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. This guy. See, God had compassion, pity, mercy upon us. And you can't have compassion, pity, or mercy on things with value. You can't. You can't. Why? Because I say so. I, Mr. Calvinist, says you can't have pity on something with value. You can't do it. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since What if my, my kids... They're still naughty, and I go to work to support them and feed them. I'm having compassion. I'm showing care to them. They have value still, right? Your arguments, they don't make sense. You're not proving what you set out to prove. Therefore, we have now been justified. That means, by the way, justified means to be declared righteous by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? If anything, the cross reveals the magnitude 
and the worth of God's love. <laughs> Why not both? Why not both, my friend? His mercy, his compassion, even for the ungodly, for sinners, for his enemies. That's, <laughs> you see, it re it's a revelation of God's love and his nature his compassion. And this is really what uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 is getting at when it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this is the love of God, which was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Todd White's um, metaphor, you know, the market metaphor, oh, the cross reveals our value, our worth. I must have really been worth something for God to be able to be willing to you know, have, you know, pay the ultimate price in the, the blood of the Son of God. I have to be so amazing. All right, so none of his verses prove that mankind doesn't have inherent value. Todd White's argument still stands that uh, since God valued us enough to give up his son, our value is probably equal to that. In order to, Our value is probably equal to what God gave up to gain us, right? It, it doesn't, you haven't refuted that point. You haven't shown anything that shows that humankind doesn't have inherent value. And we flip back to my Genesis 9 text that shows mankind has inherent value. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah's is very interesting because what's happening here is it's not Israel being proselytized. It's Nineveh, a pagan people who are not Israel. They're not under the covenant of God. They're judged by a different standard. So Jonah comes in there and uh, God, of course, doesn't destroy Nineveh because they repent. And Jonah's very mad. And uh, God gives him a plant, the plant dies, and Jonah's really bitter about this plant dying. He's very angry that this uh, living organism, this plant, has died, which has so much less value than human beings. And that's God's point to Jonah. Reading Jonah 4.10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. He said, look at this. All these people, they're all here. Why shouldn't I pity these people? They have so much more value than this stupid plant that you're concerned about. This, this concept that human beings have value is throughout the Bible. We don't even have to turn to obscure texts in order to prove it. We just turn to the underlying theme, the message of Jesus's ministry. John 3.16 for God so loved the world, which is better translated, better rendered, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wouldn't love be value? God valued the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is literally saying what our friend with the dreadlocks, Mr. White, I don't, I don't know his first name, uh, exactly saying what the guy his argument is, the Bible says it explicitly, that God loves the world in this way, that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross. So this Calvinist is wrong. His warm theology is wrong. It's not biblical. And zero of his proof texts had anything to do with the subject. This is what they like to do. They quote a verse 
and then they make it some unrelated point that has nothing to do with their proof text. And then they think they refuted what they're trying to refute. They didn't. You got to watch these guys. Watch what verses they quote and make sure it's not out of context. Thank you.